Lord God, we do pray that as we open your word, that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher, our guide, make it real to our hearts. Also, Lord, I pray that you'd give us a, a hunger for your presence that comes through your word. I pray this your name, our precious Lord Jesus. Amen. Good morning, once again. Uh, my name's Mark Schleife. Uh, my wife, Angie, and I have lived here in Beijing almost eight years. Um, in the time we have um, been here, we've seen our, our four children uh, grow and, and leave the nest for school, and then two of them out of school. Uh, we've gained, so our youngest uh, finishes up high school this year. We've gained a son by marriage and a grandson who turns a year old this coming week, and uh, that's been a whole new chapter of life, and we've gained many, many rich experiences here. I know when you, we, you have, diff, we have different speakers from our church come up here each week, and sometimes it's really hard to receive something from someone you know little about. I'll just give you a very brief picture of our background. Um, before coming to Beijing, uh, actually, I, I work my, my wife and I were sent here by Bible Study Fellowship, which is a lay-led, interdenominational, international Bible study group. And so we've been participating as, in BSF classes uh, these last uh, seven and a half years, but we also, seven of those years, have been teaching uh, in two different international schools here and uh, served as a, a math teacher and a uh, part-time vice principal in one of those. And... The reason for the maths was because the 20 years before we came here, uh, my background was in IT. I worked for a, a large uh, retail department store chain and a hospital system in the U.S. before we came here because our, our organization, our Bible study organization, is not led by pastors. Uh, very few have seminary training, though we have a board of directors that do. Um, it's, it's led by, by lay people those from ordinary walks of life who usually have another job alongside uh, whatever teaching or leading they do in that class. Um, so the last 20 years before coming to China, I worked for uh, in systems programming, automation analysts, that kind of stuff. And so it gives kind of a different perspective from educational world, uh, Christian world, the, the, the work world. Um, and prior to coming back to the U.S. for college, I grew up in the country that's now known as Zimbabwe. My parents were missionaries there. Um, we're from Arkansas in the U.S., good place to get barbecue and fried chicken uh, and, and mosquitoes. But uh, we, most of my childhood was spent, it was Rhodesia most of that time. And over to the west of Zimbabwe is a very large desert, the Kalahari Desert, about 900,000 square kilometers. Uh, covers parts of Botswana, Namibia, and the north part of South Africa. Uh, some of you are from uh, that area or nearby. And the interesting thing about the Kalahari Desert is it's, it's unlike the Gobi Desert nearby here, the Sahara Desert that most people are familiar with, where you see just the rolling dunes of sand. Most of the Kalahari is covered with vegetation, but it is a desert because it's very hard to find open sources of water. Um, there. There is one river there, and there's some, there some little seasonal pools, but most of the water gets absorbed into the ground, gets absorbed into plants. How many of you, just, just to see, how many of you have ever seen a little movie called The Gods Must Be Crazy? Okay. Now, I don't think 
the life of the, the, the Bushmen that lived in the Kalahari Desert is like that much anymore. Even at the time they made that movie, it wasn't quite a... But that is a historical life of the peoples who lived in that area. And if you saw that movie, you would see that they could recognize little tiny twigs sticking up from the ground and realize that if they dug that up, below was a huge tuber that contained moisture, could be eaten for food, and you can survive if you know what to look for. Now, sometimes in our spiritual life, we feel like we're walking through a spiritual wasteland. It looks good, but we are starving and thirsting to death for a word from the Lord. And the irony of it is, is just like in the Kalahari Desert, and in, um, Abby, there's a couple of pictures there, I think, on the first of the, this is the Kalahari. It's a beautiful place, but it's a place of death. Where death can come so easily. And you can literally be walking with, with the source of life within reach, right below your feet, and never know it's there. And sometimes spiritually, we're saying, I want to know what the Lord has to say to me. There's another slide on the next one. It's really pretty. There are trees, and the, uh, but I feel so dry. I feel so empty. Why can't I hear from the Lord? Well, you desire what uh, Psalm 19.14 says is this, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's our desire, but we don't know how to get there. And even backing up in that same psalm, and we're going we're gonna to look at that psalm in detail here, in verses 12 and 13 it says this, Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. So this may be the hunger and the desire of our hearts. But we feel like we're wandering and searching aimlessly, trying to get there. How do I get there? I had the, the privilege, um, Zach Anderson, our, our youth leader, had the flu a couple of Friday nights back or, or something that, that caused him to be sick and he asked if I would just fill in as another uh, male leader at the, the youth the other night. And I try to avoid that mainly because my kids are in there and that, that, that helps. Susanna's pretty good about it. But I got an opportunity to sit in a little bit of a Q&A, sort of similar to what uh, Rick and Carl did last Sunday morning with the youth. And they asked some questions they wanted to know. And one of the things is, how can I hear from God. And so what I would suggest is we can hear from God every day. It's just switching ourselves from that environment where we're wandering right by the source of nourishment, like someone walking through the Kalahari Desert. So what I ask you to do is to open God's Word. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, open to Psalm 19. We did the last verse and then the two verses before it, but we're going to look at this from the beginning because what is the first way that I get in touch from God? Well, if I walk outside, will I see God? Will I see God? This is what Scripture says. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. 
Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the head, and then it goes, we'll, we'll pause on that, leave that picture up, but just the, uh, the voice goes out. So God has displayed in his creation, the Apostle Paul even said, said that in God's creation, his invisible attributes are made obvious so that men are without excuse to know that there's a God. It doesn't matter where you live on this earth, how much information you've been given, there is what we call God's general revelation of himself. If we look at something that's created, our logical question should be, who's the creator? If we see something that has a design and order, we should ask, who is a designer and who made it that way? And so some of us are inspired by this, say, well, that's great. I could enjoy worshiping God on the golf course on a sunny Sunday morning just as well as I can worship and learn about Him at church. Now, that's only partially correct. You can worship Him on the golf course. I found, though, in my own golf game, after about two, three holes, I'm not very worshipful in my attitude anymore. Um, Two, three holes, that would be at that point about... 18, 19, 20 strokes, if I'm lucky. So that's, we can worship the Lord anywhere we are, and we can see the Lord in anything that's around us, but it's not enough. Just as we have a different worship when we come together in the presence of other believers, it says, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. And when we come together in corporate worship, It's a special part of our life as a Christian. But we need something more. Now he goes on to talk about the the sun, and he says, The glories of my glories are displayed in my creation. Yes. He said, In the heavens he's pitched a tent for the sun. And some beautiful imagery here. It says, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. You see the character of God in the behavior of his creation, the joy that fills it and says, it rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. So we're so glad that God has given us the evidence in his creation, and we see it in each other. But we have a much deeper need. We need a personal interaction with the Father. And he says that comes from his word. And so he goes on in this psalm to explain the beauty of his word and the necessity of it for our lives. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. I like this verse. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Whether it says the law, the statutes, the precepts, the commands, the fear of the Lord, which comes through understanding who he is, and the ordinances of the Lord, they're talking about the things laid out in his word. And so what he's pointing to, and if we go on, if we go back then and look at those verses we saw earlier, he's saying, you see me in creation, and then 
you see my word and you see who I am, but more importantly, you are drawn into a relationship with me because here's the package deal we get. When we read God's word, we have God's Holy Spirit as like an accompanying teacher to explain it and to have it make sense to us. We have him there to draw us into a relationship with the Lord. You know, what's funny about even Christians, even people who've been Christians a long time, we talk a lot about Scripture. We reference the things of Scripture. We read a lot of really good books that talk about scriptural principles and yet often neglect to go back and make a habit of reading it for, them, for ourselves. Don Everett is a guy that uh, works with InterVarsity Fellowship. He's been working with college students for over 25 years. He's written several books, um, God in the Flesh, Jesus with Dirty Feet, uh, that just talk about the, the coming in contact with Jesus. And um, one, one book I particularly recommend, our, one of our youth ministers spoke on it before, I Once Was Lost. It talks about five thresholds someone must cross before becoming a believer. And in all his experience with young people meeting in college dorm lobbies and having Bible studies, he said there was an interesting thing. He said, students who had grown up in church backgrounds, hearing the Bible all their lives, often didn't know the details the way these young people who were being exposed for the first time and were given the reading assignments did. They would talk about something like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace. And they start talking about it, and some of these kids who were used to this, they'd known this story since probably three years old, and they were talking about some of the details, and the other kids who were not from a church background would look at them in confusion and say, but that's not what it says. Because they had never read this before, and they read it with new eyes and saw what God's Word actually said, and they saw the details and sometimes, you know the, the thing familiarity, the saying familiarity breeds contempt? What that means is over a period of time, the way our brain works, according to some researchers, is that what I remember an experience I've had before, I'm not actually remembering the experience, I'm remembering my last memory of the experience. And next time I think about this time, I'll remember this experience, but the next time I'll remember that memory of this experience, and the memory, it's like a copy of a copy of a copy, after a while it gets kind of dull. It gets kind of indistinct and unclear. But it's not just that. God's Word, again, is not about just what's in the pages. It is intended for us to be drawn into a relationship with God each day. It's kind of like you know, there's, there's an old joke about a man who tells his wife when they first get married, he says, honey, I love you. And if that ever changes, I'll let you know. And sometimes we feel like that, okay, I've read this. Know what that one is. Check that off. Moses actually had a friend invited to, uh, it was a good friend, and invited him to, to Bible study fellowship, which is where we, we read God's word, we talk about it, we, we, we get it in several passes. And, and he came and he kind of enjoyed it and asked him, are you going to sign up for the study of Moses next year, you and your dad? And he said, uh, no, we already know that. And I just cringed and hurt for my friend because it wasn't about the knowledge of the thing. One of the things that I have enjoyed the most 
about hearing people talk about reading God's Word and then trying to apply it has been to hear how it's changed their lives, how they've taken something we were reading in the passage that week and they'd had a conversation with their teenage daughter and it totally changed their response or their response, they gave their normal response and then were stopped by something that God had brought to their attention that week and said, wait, back up. And the outcome of that story was so different. It was so exciting to me to have a question that, you know, my mom and dad are missionaries. People try to put them on these spiritual pedestals, which is total nonsense. They're very real people. Um, but, but, and so you grow up in a missionary home. Surely you know God's word. You know all that stuff. You heard all those stories. You got the, the chick publications and you got the Spire Christian comics and you got the, you know, you got the, the picture story Bible. And, and, and I did read a lot of scripture when I was young because I was sitting in a Shauna language service that wasn't translated. And I didn't know Shauna, the local language, African language well enough. So I'd read the stories of the Old Testament. Got a lot of Old Testament learning in there. It's fascinating. Better stories in the New Testament, usually. Um, a little more R-rated, but, the, um, but uh, and there, there's a few passages you'd want to avoid for a bit. But the, um, it was, and yet, I would come to a Bible study, and I'd ask a question, and I'd go, I didn't get anything out of that question. And I'd be sitting down in a group next to a guy who'd say, I love this question, this is what God showed me about this this week. And here's how it ties in to what I've been wondering. And so as God's word gets into our lives, it not only speaks to us directly, but it flows through us and it goes into us. It's kind of like this. It's like sustenance. Like he said, it's like honey, honey from the comb. We ingest God's word. We digest God's word. And then it becomes part of us. It builds our spiritual structure. And so... We become not people who take scriptures and quote them to someone else and say, oh, here's a good scripture for you. Take that and be happy with it. We become someone who ingests that scripture and says, how does that mean that I should be involved in their life to carry out that truth? We literally become the hands and feet of God. And I know some of you may be saying, I've tried to read scripture or I've had scripture read to me or quoted to me or slammed at me. Nothing I hate worse makes than, well, there's probably some things I hate worse, but one thing that really makes me cringe is going through the internet and there comes up a conversation on some social, social issue, whether it be sexual morality, homosexuality, adultery, maybe whether it could be anything as basic as whether you agree with this or that political position. But someone will jump in there and in bold caps will slam out a passage of Scripture. And I cringe every time because there's some things that God's Word is not intended to be. It's not intended to be a club. I know it describes His Word in Ephesians 6 as the sword of the Spirit, but that's talking about spiritual warfare. It also says over in... Um, Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, which way is that directed, outward or inward? Well, if you read the next verse, it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him 
to whom we must give account. Sounds to me almost like you could have also described it as a surgeon's knife. As we read God's Word, it slices down into us. It becomes a, a, a means of clinically opening us up and revealing who we really are, and that is one of the most awkward and shaming things we think for the truth of who we are to be opened up. We build a good cover around it, but in truth, God, as he opens up in love, reveals his grace and his mercy, and he covers over those things in us. So his word comes as a source of sustenance. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathes, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And we'll find that that process is working in us. I also believe God's word shouldn't be used as a burden to weigh others down. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. He says, you tie up heavy burdens with the law. They had all these sabbatical laws. And we'll get to a passage in just a second that, that references one of those. And he says, you won't lift, you make huge burdens for other people. And you won't lift a finger to relieve them. In our human nature, we have a temptation to make everything a performance basis. Everything in life is how well do I do? And so even when we take, for instance, God's laws from the Old Testament, and it's not just a book of laws. If people tell you that, oh, the Old Testament's full of laws and the New Testament's full of grace, I encourage you, go actually read it. There is as much grace in the Old Testament and there is much, as much judgment in the New Testament. And it's all interwoven because it represents the interwoven character of God. But we are tempted to legalism, to put ourselves on a, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. We use this as a lever sometimes to force others to do things they won't do from the heart. As a parent, one of my greatest challenges is, do I try to reach my child's behavior and contain it? Or do I try to reach their heart so the behavior changes from the inside out? Same as if you're working with employees in a company, kids, students in a school, or just other social relationships. God's Word contains wonderful stories, but it's not just a book of stories. It contains wisdom for life and insights. It's not just a book of wisdom. It contains knowledge, laws, commands, but it's not just a book of those things. It is an invitation into the presence of the Lord, His communication with us. And it's that live instruction by the Holy Spirit that draws us into daily personal relationship with God. God is someone we're intended to know, not just know about. And so he gives us his word. Now, because of that performance standard, humanity, God knew that we would continue to turn it into a set of rules or check boxes that we need to do. And so he had a solution. He wanted us to understand his heart. So this is what he did. He gave us the clearest example of how we're to treat his word and how we're to live it out by coming himself in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. So first, looking at, um, I'm just going to flip to, you're welcome to turn to these with me if you like, but to just going to take real quickly, you can never go wrong looking at the example of Jesus Christ. And here's why. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. And Abby, I've got a, a slide up here that will show that 
scripture reference. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It then says, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. doesn't mean there wasn't grace in the law. It just means this God delivered his truth. He gave his law through Moses. He exhibited his grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. Another word, another translation says, he has explained him. The living, breathing, walking, audiovisual representation of the heart of God is in his son, Jesus Christ. If you want to go to a place in scripture, go to the gospels. If you have not read scripture for yourself before, go to the gospels. If you like action, read Mark. If you like starting at the beginning, start in Matthew and read your way through. If you like something that really appeals to the heart of God for you, read John. If you like all the extra details, Luke will give them to you. But every one of these will show you a picture of the heart of God. And here's what he did. You know, Charles Sheldon back in 1896 wrote a a book that's now become one of the best-selling books in the world, mainly because they messed up with the copyright and anybody could print it. Charles Sheldon wrote the book, In His Steps which encapsulated a very well-known phrase. What is that? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Now, in a a postmodern society, we probably should change one of those words, just for clarity, because sometimes we, we, we approach things like, what would Jesus do? Well, what would God want in this situation? Well, God would want me to be happy. How do I think I would be happy? Let me do the, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do and use that as the example for how we would apply those principles of Scripture? And so he's, he became flesh, he lived among us to demonstrate what God means. And so here's an example. How well did Jesus know Scripture? Very, very well. He's quoting it all the time. He's frequently saying, have you not heard? Do you not, have you not read? Do you not know? Do you not remember? One of the most crucial times comes in Matthew chapter 4, just before he goes to begin his ministry and give the Sermon on the Mount, just after his baptism, the Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness to be tempted. He is there for 40 days and 40 nights, so it's a lot like the Kalahari. He's wandering around eating nothing for 40 days and 40 nights. Obviously, God is somehow spiritually maintaining him, and he is right where God intended him to be. It says, Satan comes and says, hey, if you're really the son of God, have these stones become bread? The subtext, what he's saying is, is God, can you really trust God? Can you really depend on him? Why has he got you out here starving? Take the power to yourself. You know better than God. Feed yourself. And Jesus responded with scripture from Deuteronomy. It's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He considers the words of God greater sustenance than even physical food. He goes on, and the the devil even tries to quote Scripture back at him from Psalm 91, which is a psalm that's particularly precious to me because it was given as a a promise to my mother, a promise of protection during the 
the Rhodesian War when we were out in a, the middle of a war zone. But Satan kind of misapplies it and says, he says his angels will protect you in any circumstance. Why don't you go throw yourself off the temple? Because it says they won't even let your feet be bruised. They'll pick you up. They'll catch you. And he says, but it also says, don't put the Lord your God to a foolish test. He understood that we don't just pick scriptures out here and there, but we take the heart of God to understand the words of God. And that comes from daily interaction with him. And then finally, the devil tries to get him to bow down, and in return, he'll give him authority over the kingdoms of the world. Jesus knows that's nonsense because he already has authority over those kingdoms. He says, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Jesus' example was to know Scripture, to feed on Scripture, to use Scripture, but to put it in the context of a daily relationship with the Lord. And just for the sake of time, we go very quickly through this. Let's look at his example. Uh, his, uh, sorry, that was his example. His expectation. He expected that those who would lead others would also know Scripture themselves. It's a very interesting use of a verse in Hosea 6.6. 6. If you go to that, I've got it just written on the back of my paper. It says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Very similar to what Chris Watkins talked about last week from Samuel, where it says, to obey is better than sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This is an important verse because Jesus is going to reference it in these two different passages in Matthew. In Matthew 9, he's just called Matthew the tax collector. And Matthew comes to follow him. Now, Matthew is the worst of the worst politically. He's a traitor to his own people. He works for the Romans, and most tax collectors also cheated. And so, politically speaking, he's one of the worst people you could hang around with. But worse than that, when Jesus is at the party, there are also many sinners. He keeps putting it in quotes, sinners. Usually that means people of low reputation, prostitutes, others involved in the lowest areas of society. And they all come happily to this party, and Jesus happily parties with them. If that bothers your theology, I'm sorry, it's Scripture. Not in those many words, though, so you can, it's okay. But the, Jesus is happy in their presence, being with them, and the Pharisees are very unhappy. They say, how can you associate with tax collectors and sinners? And he says, it's not the, sick, the well, but the, the healthy, but the sick that need a physician. I'm the cure for the disease, basically. But he says, but go do this. He gives an assignment. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He tells them, go look up Hosea 6.6. And what's interesting about that is you go three chapters along in Matthew. And there's a day that Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field in, in Matthew chapter 12. And the disciples are hungry, so they're picking some grains of wheat and rolling them and just chewing on the seeds. And the Pharisees said, that's harvesting, and today's the Sabbath day. You're breaking the law of working on the Sabbath. And they criticize him, and, and he takes them to an example from Scripture where David and his companions were on the run from Saul, and they were hungry, and they were even given the sacred bread from the temple to meet their needs, showing the heart of God. The heart of God towards us is not a set of rules that he knows we're not, going to make, we're not going to be able to meet, but his heart is he knows we're sinners. 
If you go to a list like the end of Romans chapter 1, it talks about the list of all our sins. It talks about sexual immorality, whether that's adultery, homosexuality, other forms of, uh, of pornography, other things. It, it refers to all those sins. It talks about murder. But it also talks about gossip, lying, stealing, being disobedient to parents, being arrogant. And it doesn't rank them. And if we're honest with ourselves, every one of us knows those sins, many of them by experience, and all of them, we contain the same root of sin within ourselves. God knows we're sinners. His heart is for sinners to make them well. And through His Word, He brings that about. And so Jesus' presence was to show that God's Word was not to be a judge just to say, you don't meet the standard, here's the judgment. To say, you don't meet the standard, I'm the cure. And he goes on in there, he goes to a place in the synagogue, and he heals a man with a shriveled hand. But he tells them, you should have known what these words mean. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and you would not have condemned the innocent. He says that in verse 7. So that's Jesus' expectation. What I would leave you with today is it is absolutely vital that we don't just talk about God's Word. There are many great books to read that talk about the Word of God. There are many great teachers. There are many great studies. And those are all good things, but it should never replace the Word of God. If you have, I know we, we have a lot of different teaching here. If you come to CCC on Sunday morning starving for God's Word, it may or may not meet your need for that morning but it will certainly not meet your needs for that week. You need God's Word every day so that God's presence comes into your life every day. A few years ago in one of those school jobs, and several of my coworkers from that job are in this room and other families, when we were at an international school here and it seemed like everything was going well and suddenly all the wheels came off. There was... The owner had been allowing some friends to systematically embezzle money from the school and became a huge management crisis. Uh, ended up several months with nobody being paid. Bank accounts were locked. Got, there were some physical threats. And then there was, I mean, there was just turmoil throughout a whole year. And we would read in Psalm 37. Psalm 37 was just the place to go back to. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. That do not fear when evil men succeed in their ways. And, and I'm not labeling particularly any person, but just saying, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. The days of the blameless are known to the Lord, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they'll not wither in days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. Here's some key verses. It says at the beginning of verse 23, If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young, and now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken, or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be blessed. At the time, it felt like we were living in the midst of one of those Bible stories. We talk about it with each other, except 
some of those Bible stories in, if you read Hebrews 11, they fall about half and half. Some end really well and some end in death and other things for the glory of the Lord. And we're like, we're in the middle of what feels like a Bible story, but we don't know what the ending is going to be. But God is faithful to his word. He sustains daily. And then as we look back, we see how miraculously he works all things. And if we haven't been with him in the process, we miss so much of the blessings. And we're walking past things we could enjoy right under our feet every day that are contained when we open this and go into his presence. I just leave as a, as a they say the difference, when you read scripture, you may say, I read scripture and it doesn't, doesn't work for me. Encourage you to sit and just ponder on it and let him take it in. The difference between reading and studying, I've been told one, one example is if you're crossing over a beautiful clear lake and you're taking a motorboat across and just speeding across the lake, that's like reading it. You get to enjoy the beauty and everything, but if instead you get in a glass bottom boat and you proceed slowly across the lake and you peer down into the depths and see what's there, that's studying it. You take, sometimes the difference is just taking a pencil in your hand. And I would encourage you, take this book and write all over it. Like, use a pencil instead of a pen because the, the, the paper is usually pretty thin and it bleeds through. And if you make a mistake, it kind of looks ugly when you got marked out in your Bible on the sides. But it just, make a date when God told you something and a note about what he said. You will find when you come back to it later, it's amazing how you see how God has worked in your life since then. You see growth. You see change. There are many different Bible plans. If you need some suggestions, any uh, Rick or others can give you one. I can give you some. But every day, regardless of what else I'm studying, I open the Psalms. Because if you want something that helps you walk through your pain before the Lord, go to Psalms. Start at the beginning of Psalms. Read however much you want for that day. When you get to the end, start over. Every, almost everything I've read to you today from about God's Word is that, and if you want one assignment to look into the beauty of God's Word, I'll give you the longest psalm. You can take it in chunks if you want it. Take a Psalm 119. Psalm 119 has 176 verses in it. It's got sections that are labeled by all the the uh, letters of the Hebrew alphabet in order. But of those 176 verses, depending on which translation you use in your understanding, all but two to four verses of 176 say something about the beauty of God's Word. Look it up. Things like, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your Word. I've hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. If we want to hear from God, it starts by opening his word for ourselves. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the beauty of yourself revealed in the beauty of what you've communicated to us, both in your written word and, Lord, most of all, in your son. I pray this your name, Lord Jesus Christ.